0: We've been talking over the last several weeks about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, we've talked about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And, and we, we talked about the idea of the Holy Spirit in symbolism, wind, fire, oil, water, and a dove. Uh, anybody that's been here for the last several weeks, you probably could go through that list of five symbols as quickly as anybody. And, and we talked about how each of those symbols tells us something different and, and teaches us something about the Holy Spirit. We, we've talked about how people in the New Testament receive the Holy Spirit and and, and you know I, I just want I want to connect to, to that uh, tonight and, and kind of deal with a little bit more of that and then and then uh, then we're going to finally tonight begin talking about the gifts of the Spirit because I know that's what a lot of people have been waiting for but l- let me just remind you, of one, one thing that kind of bridges from the Old Testament view of the Holy Spirit to the New Testament view. Um, now, now, we know that the Jews knew about the Holy Spirit. We, we talked about that. They, in the very first couple of verses of, of the book of Genesis, it says that the Holy Spirit, or, or Ruach HaKadosh, uh, brooded over the face of the water. So, so there was a clear theology of the Spirit of God, or the wind of God, or... You know the, the ruach and uh, however the idea as you remember in the old testament was that the spirit came upon select individuals you know a prophet a king a, a judge or, or or people like jephthah or 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 you know or gideon or samson you know or a prophet like elijah or something like that uh, uh, the the idea that just general people everyday ordinary people res- would receive the the holy spirit just didn't even make any sense to them. Not only to that, but we talked about the, the fact that that idea was actually probably a little scary to them as well. But yet in Joel chapter 2, uh, the, Joel two, 2 prophesied that very event. And then in Acts chapter 2, the, when, when the outpouring that out, outpouring came in the upper room on those folk there, Peter references that passage and he says, hey, this is that which was spoken of in the second chapter of Joel. So, Acts 2 is the initial experience of it, but throughout the book of Acts, we, we see it repeated. We, we see it in the eighth chapter of Acts at Samaria. We see it in the ninth chapter of Acts at Caesarea. We, we, we see it in Acts chapter 19, which we're gonna, we're gonna go back at the beginning of tonight's study and, and go back to that passage. We've talked about that last week, but we're going to go back to it. But So look at Acts chapter 19. We're going to look at this little story again and dig a little bit deeper on that and then move right into the gifts of the Spirit. It says this in Acts chapter 19 verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Now we're going to stop there because uh, let's talk about that. Ephesus is on the on the coast of modern Turkey. Uh, it's still there. The city is still there. Only now the town is called Seljuk, Seljuk, and it's it's right on the border of Turkey. And so Paul leaves Greece and he goes across the northern, the top part of Greece, and and he ca- across what's known as the Hellespont, and he travels down to Ephesus. Now there was a Jewish evangelist named Apollos. Who was working with the jews in ephesus he he is a uh uh, we know from scripture he was a mighty orator he was a great teacher and and he 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 had been there for some time working with the synagogue at ephesus now also in Ephesus, there were two messianic jews that just means jews who have come to believe in christ as the messiah and their names were priscilla and aquila and and they eventually take apollos aside and they teach him the truth of the gospel. And then Apollos receives that, and, but then he, he goes across the Aegean Sea to Greece. So, and, and Apollos eventually becomes one of the really, uh, what it seems to be one of the three great luminaries of the New Testament church. And I say that because if you remember, Paul says to the Corinthians, the first part of Corinthians, he says, you know, some of you say, I'm a Peter. And some say they're, that they're of me. And some others say, we're of Apollos. And then there were real spiritual ones who'd say, we're of Jesus, you know, so they had to get that in there. So, so Paul himself sort of ranks Apollos right up there with himself and with Peter. So he becomes one of the three great spokesmen of the gospel in the New Testament church. We don't, we don't have any of his writings or anything like that, but we just know he was a significant figure during that time. So, so Apollos has now left Ephesus and he's gone to Greece. And, and then Paul leaves Greece and goes to Ephesus. So like the proverbial two ships in the night, they pass each other like two ships in the night, almost literally. And now Paul, Paul arrives at the synagogue in Ephesus, which Paul, Apollos, he had been working there. He had been teaching that area and he left. Okay, so back to Acts 19. So Paul says, says Paul passed through the inward country and came to Ephesus. And then it says, there he found some disciples. Now, the, the problem there is that when we hear the word disciples, we immediately assume it means disciples of Jesus. But these men were not disciples of Jesus. They were disciples of Apollos. Apollos, he was active in teaching the, the things that John the Baptist had taught. So when, when, when Apollos had been teaching uh, what he had been teaching in Ephesus was repentance and preparation for the coming of, the, of Messiah. And he preached that uh, until the end of his ministry there in Ephesus when Priscilla and Aquila led him to Jesus. And he, and he uh, leaves for Jesus, uh, not for Jesus, for Greek. You always guess Jesus. That's it. He left for Greek Greece and that's where his ministry changes. But he, he had been this john the baptist style if jewish evangelist calling people to repentance because that's what john the baptist did and so he was teaching what john the baptist had taught and we know that from other places in scripture where we we were told about what happened in his conversion that sort of thing so so paul arrives in ephesus and it's, and he and it says that after finding these disciples he asked them a question he and in verse two it says and he said to them did you receive the holy spirit when when you believed well, listen, nothing in that question made any sense to them. Because Paul, now I love it when, when, Paul, when the apostles sort of foul up a little bit because it gives me hope for my ministry. But, uh, but, but Paul has made a false assumption. He thinks they're water-baptized Christians, but they're not. They're disciples of Apollos. By extension, disciples of John the Baptist. So when Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you received? His question makes no sense to them whatsoever. So in response, they give an answer that doesn't make any sense at all. Because they say, look at the second part of the verse. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Well, that's a crazy answer. That's a really odd answer because all the Jews knew there was a Holy Spirit. They, they knew that. What confused them? Why would they say such a strange statement? Why, why would Paul, first of all, say, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, when you believed? He, he must have sensed that because, uh, the, be, be, said that because he sensed that something was missing in their worship. He, you know, maybe he got to the point where he said, this just doesn't feel spirit-filled. We don't know. But finally, for whatever reason, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you received? And they say, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And that doesn't make any sense because they're all Jews and all Jews believed in the Holy Spirit. So what confused them? Why would they say such a weird, unusual statement? Well, What confused them was the verb received. Did you receive? Now, listen, if Paul had said to them, Do you believe that the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters of creation? They they would have said, Yes. Yes. Do you believe that there is a Spirit of God? Do you believe in the wind of God? Do you believe in the column of fire that led the the Hebrew people in the wilderness? Do you believe in Ruach HaKadosh? Do do you believe? They would have enthusiastically said, yes, yes, but that's not what Paul asked. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And and that confused them because they didn't know an ordinary person could receive the Holy Spirit. So let, let me illustrate it like this. I'll try to put it like this. Suppose that I walked up to Chuck Bryant and, and I said, "Hey, man, I just got back. I've been to New York City, and man, I, I just had a great time." Now, I don't tell him that while I was in New York, I went to a deli, one of their famous delis, and 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 they and they have a. This is not a real deli and a real sandwich, but let's say I went to this deli, and I had a sandwich that was just so huge, and and it was they load so much on the sandwich that they call the sandwich a pickup truck. All right. So then I, in that conversation with Chuck, I say to him, hey, have you ever eaten a pickup truck? Well, you know, Paul, he, Chuck might look at me like so confused by that. He'd say, I don't even know what a pickup truck is because the verb eaten confused him. He, you know, he, he can't connect eaten with the word pickup truck. So he says, I, I don't even know what a pickup truck is. What are you? I don't know what you're talking about. This makes no sense to me. You know, and then you hear that and you say, you don't know what a pickup truck is? Don't you live in Arkansas? There are more pickups than people in Arkansas. But, but because he doesn't understand the connection of the verb eaten with the noun pickup truck, he's confused. So when Paul says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They say, in essence, they're saying, we don't even know what you're talking about. That makes no sense. Because you can't be talking about the Holy Spirit of God. You can't be because ordinary people don't receive that. It's the same way that Chuck would be saying, you can't be talking about a real pickup truck because you don't eat a pickup truck. So you must be referring to something else. So what what is a pickup truck? And that's really what's happening here. So then he says to them, now listen, this this is very important what Paul says to them for Trinitarian theology. In verse three, he says, it says this, and he said, into what then were you baptized? In other words, what's happening there, it must be that Paul believed in baptism through the Trinity because he's appeal, appealing to the ritual of baptism. He says, you, you must have at least heard of the Holy Spirit because when you were water baptized, you would have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and, and what? The Holy Spirit. And, and they, said, they said no, they, they said into John's baptism. That's John the Baptist. That that was simply the baptism that he did in the Jordan River before Jesus. And and it was designed to prepare the hearts of Jewish people in repentance and cleansing for the coming of Messiah. So So Paul basically says, well, you're not even Christians. And they're like, no, you're the only one talking Christian here. We don't know what you're talking about. Verse four, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. So John John said, yeah, (laughs) I thought I had it wrong there. John said, there is one coming after me who is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry, and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and, and with fire. And Paul says to them, listen, John this person you were baptized into this this repentance, he was preaching about Jesus. He he would tell you that you're to believe in Jesus. And so faith arises in their hearts and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in in, uh, verse five, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is one of the rare occasions mentioned in the Bible where Paul uh, apparently personally baptizes people. He, He baptizes them in water after their confession of faith. And then after that, Paul says, okay, now we're on this, all on the same page. Now you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So the issue that confused them was the idea that the individual believer, just simply by asking in faith, could receive the same Holy Spirit that anointed Isaiah, that, that, that filled Jeremiah, that fell upon David. That, that, was the, that was the radical leap into New Testament, Trinitarian and Pentecostal theology, that, that the very same Holy Spirit that brooded over the face of the waters of the creation of the world could fill individual believers who uh, whenever they ask and they receive in faith, did you receive? This is the Holy Spirit when you believed And listen, since that day, that's exactly where we are in the New Testament church. And that's frankly where we will be until the return of Christ. Okay, so now that's just gonna conclude our time to bridge over bridging from the Old Testament, to the New Testament. That brings us to what we're gonna spend the rest of our time together talking about tonight. Uh, I, I, I shared all of those things because I'm trying to bridge from Wednesday to Wednesday to try to keep everyone on the same page. And now we're going to move into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm going to do is is for the rest of our time together, I'm just going to keep track of our time. uh, And I'm not even going to try to cover everything about the gifts of the Spirit tonight. Because, I mean, you could preach for probably a year on the gifts of the Spirit if you really wanted to. So I'm just just going to teach until we run out of time and, and then we'll pick it up wherever we left off next week. So that's the plan. So let's begin by asking this question. What does it mean or what do we mean what are we talking about when we talk about the gifts of the spirit You know in, in the first place when we say gifts of the spirit in, in Pentecostal circles we, we almost always are talking about that particular list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 the list of supernatural endowments However that's not the only list of gifts in the uh, gifts of the spirit If you'll turn to uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. And it's it's interesting to start here in this place. Why is that? Why is it interesting to me? Well, it's because this is the church that we just talked about. It's the very people there. And the church, this is the church that Paul left behind in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And now he, he is writing back to them and dealing with some of these things. So let's read what he says to them, Ephesians chapter four, Verse 11, verse 11 and 12. And he, now it's talking about Jesus, when it talks about he, we we know that, we know this Jesus because of the context, because if you you are not reading it tonight, but you go back to verse 10, it says that he who descended is also uh, the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So that's Jesus. So we know that he refers to Jesus. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And it goes on after that, but that's where we're going to stop for tonight. But that, that little passage of scripture is often either ignored completely when people talk about the gifts of the spirit, or is it is often misapplied, I believe. So so look at what it says. What, what is often taught and understood to say is that is that he gave some the gift of being an apostle. And that's that's not actually what it says. Instead of going by how you have always read it, read it as it says it. It says, he gave the apostles. You see the difference there? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. In other words, he is saying a, a gift to the church is gifted people. He knows what the church needs at any given time. In in order to help the people of God grow up and to become workers in the kingdom of God, he gives people to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. You know, I heard about a man who who went to preach at a church that was being pastored by a friend of his. They had gone to seminary together, but it had been many years since they'd seen each other. And so his friend had invited him to come preach. when he arrived at the church to preach that morning, he, he went to get out of his car in the parking lot. And, and before he was even out of the car, he saw this lady just scurrying out to intercept him before he went in. And, and listen, if you've been in ministry for a while, you just, you just, in, there are certain moments like that, you just, you just have a feeling that something's about to go down. You just know something's off. Well, she ran up to him, scurried up to him, and she said, you're the pastor's friend, aren't you? And he said, yes, I am. And she said, well, well, let me just tell you something about your friend that you may not know. And he's like, well, let's hear it. And she said, I want you to know that your friend thinks he's God's gift to the church. And he said, well, thank God. Finally, a pastor who knows his place. Because the passage is so often misapplied. People are trying to find out if they have the gift of pastor or the gift of prophet or whatever. That's, that's not what it says. It, it says it's talking about people given to the church. It, it, the, the gifted people are a gift of the Spirit. And in that sense, and, and I, you, you know me, I mean, I, I try to remain humble and I, I don't feel like I'm an arrogant person at least most days. But in the sense of the scripture, the truth is that Bible, the Bible is saying that in that sense that I'm a gift to this church. Not that I'm so much better or, or that I'm, you know, you know all that in a bag of chips, but just saying, the, the, according to, this, to the scripture, the, the, the spirit of God says, this church needs Dave as its pastor right now. What, now, whether that's punishment or, or a gift, I don't know. But, but that's, that's really what it's saying. It's saying that God gives people to the church. And that's a gift of the Spirit. Now, now turn to 1 Peter 4.11. 1 Peter 4.11. Actually, 1st we'll start in verse 10. Let's back it up. Verse 10 and 11. It says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, a second way to think about the gifts of the Spirit is that the, the giftedness of the Holy Spirit is flowing through the church all the time all the time. See, we want to separate it out and we want to make it a thing, a specific thing that this is the gift of the Spirit over here, and that's the specific, and it's got to be in that little box there. But, but, but I believe what he's saying here and what Scripture teaches us is that when the power of God is flowing in a worship service, the Spirit of God is actively doing something. That is, that is part of the gift of the Spirit, what he's doing in our lives. There's something in you that, 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 that you sense. There's something going on that you sense. And he's saying that, that that's the Spirit-filled proclamation of the church, through the church, in the church, to the church. However, having said all that, there are still other ways to think about it. And I just want to offer some of them before we come to 1 Corinthians 12, because that's what we're going to spend our time focusing on mostly. We won't won't turn there, but in Exodus 35, the Bible refers to uniquely gifted craftsmen who built the tabernacle. In a sense, the book of Exodus implies, or maybe even explicitly states, that the Spirit of God was upon them... To fashion the tabernacle with unique ability and there was something beyond just their natural ability so so that's one uh, another area that you could think of as a gift then you you look at other people and like for example in the, the the lives of joseph and daniel we see something that that isn't categorically categorically listed in the new testament as a gift of the spirit but one cannot do what they did without the Holy Spirit, and that is the interpretation of dreams. I believe God still gives dreams. In fact, he said in Joel 2 that that, that, that that old men would dream dreams. And so, so I believe that there is still a gift of, of interpretation of dreams. You know, now that's, it's, it's like anything else. It's hard to figure out, okay, are they just making something up? You just got to have something to be able to bear witness with that. But I believe that's still there. I, I also believe, that there's a difference between a talented songwriter and a talented poet and a spirit-filled, spirit-anointed songwriter or poet. Witness King David. We we may not often think of King David as a spirit-filled person, but certainly there's something beyond just a disciplined and insightful poet that enables him to write passages like Psalm 23. Or, or Messianic Psalms, especially where, where we know that he's writing something that's referring specifically to Jesus and it's fulfilled in Jesus. Like when it says, starts off and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then Jesus says the very same thing. Well, there's something beyond that. You know, in other words, you, you know, you, the, the, there's, there's something that, that gives some amount of spiritual giftedness in that moment. Um, and, and so I believe that you can hear songs and some of those songs, sometimes you may sense, this is beyond this guy. You know, this, this, this did not come from this person. There's something different here. In other words, you, could, you can hear the oracles of God. You hear almost a sermon in that moment. In other words, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, we may be talking about gifted persons. Or we may be talking about uniquely anointed musicians or talented workers. We may be talking about the proclamation of the word. All of these things are gifts of the spirit in some sense or another. So just, I'm just saying all that to just don't just bundle it up, uh, bundle up the gifts of the spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and say, that's the limit. All right. So now let's turn to the passage everybody wants to talk about when you talk about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. Let's, let's just kind of work through the chapter a, a wee bit. Rather than, rather than simply talking about the gifts with precision tonight, we're going to spend more time talking about them over the next couple of weeks. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now we're going to pause there because that, that, that's translated in English as spiritual gifts, but, it's, but in Greek it's a, it's a complicated little passage of Scripture because there is not a clear translation for it. It, it might be translated spiritual stuff or spiritualities, or charismata, uh, th- those things are that, that, that are of the Holy Spirit. So he says, in us, essence, he says, let me talk to you about Holy Spirit stuff. You know, and, and that's surely a passage that, that a, a Pentecostal can understand. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, Now, that's the next key thing. When it comes to spiritual realities in operation in the body of Christ, ignorance is not bliss. You need to understand what's going on so that you can weigh whether something that is being spoken is truly a, a word from the Lord, for example. Uh, let's read on, verse two, 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to, to mute idols, however you were led. Now, what he's dealing with here is pagan worship. He, he's, he's dealing with people who used to be pagans. There, there, there's been this huge revival in, in the city of Corinth, and, and it is, you know, some, some Jews in the synagogue, you know, came to the Lord and, and it has reached into the pagan Gentile world. And so he's reminding them of how they understood pagan worship in the past. Now we we often think that, you know, pagans don't worship, but everybody worships. Everybody worships something. If nothing else, they worship themselves. But everybody worships. So how does a pagan understand worship? We've got to understand this to understand what he's saying here. Pagan worship believes that a person must exit the natural, enter the supernatural, receive received from that, their God or their gods, exit the supernatural, come back into the natural, and then declare what they've heard. So, so, the problem becomes then, in their worldview, how do I get out of the natural and into the supernatural realm? And that's what many religions, you know, do all kinds of strange things. How many of you have heard of uh, many of the Native American tribes, or not many, I don't know how many, but some of the Native American tribes are, uh, are involved in what I, I would just call it a peyote cult. You ever heard of peyote? And, and, and so... This is what they believe in essence. They smoke, they smoke peyote, they smoke dope, in other words, uh, and and then and then uh, they they exit the natural realm and enter into a spiritual realm. They receive some kind of vision and they come down from their high and give that prophecy. I saw a white buffalo, whatever it is, you know. Or there are some other Native American tribes that, if you remember, they would their their uh, young warriors passing into manhood, they would. They would be strung up, you know, with, you know, uh, sp- spikes or, 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 or poles, you know, driven underneath their pectoral muscles and hung there. And that pain would drive them into delirium, into sort of an out-of-body experience. They have some sort of vision, and if they survive all that, they come back and they say what they saw. That's, that's pagan worship. Uh, let me give you another one. Has anybody ever heard the phrase whirling dervish? Let me see your hand. Anybody ever heard of whirling dervish? Well, that's actually a a para-Islamic cult, the dervishes. And what they would do is that they would whirl. I mean, they would spin and spin and spin and spin, and they would dance and whirl and dance and whirl and do all these things until they reach a state of exhaustion, to where they have sort of an out-of-body experience and they go before Allah and, they, and then they come back down and declare what they heard or what they saw as prophecy. And Paul, Paul basically he's saying that's how pagans access the supernatural. It's through working themselves up and getting you know, themselves into some frenzy, having this out-of-body experience. In fact, listen, if we're not careful, I have seen things very similar to this in pentecostal churches where people work so hard to, work, to to whip themselves up into a into a froth so to speak in thinking somehow or another they're going to create a move of god they're going to enter the supernatural and come back with something and paul's saying that's just that's just not what we're talking about here he said that's how pagans access the 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 supernatural but he says to us you don't you don't have to whirl yourself you don't have to smoke peyote You don't have to do these things to drive yourself into some kind of an out-of-body experience. You don't have to force yourself out of the natural and into the supernatural because that's just not how it works with Christianity. The Holy Spirit accesses you and is accessible to you right where you are right here in the natural world. It's not that you have to do something to work yourself up to it. So he says, you don't have to rev yourself up into a fever pitch in order to get something out of this. He, he says, that's what pagans do. They are led astray. They are swept away in, in the moment. And it, it, it is frankly, it is a mistake when Pentecostals say things like, and maybe you've heard somebody say it, where they say things like, I just couldn't help myself. I just got swept, swept up. That's a mistake to say that because that's not the way the gifts are supposed to work. Think about it. How can the gifts of the Spirit work in a way that is contrary to the fruit of the Spirit? One of the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Self-control. So if you're out of control then one of the fruit of the Spirit is not operating. Then maybe what you think is a gift of the Spirit is not a gift of the Spirit at all. It's a very sobering passage of Scripture when we understand it and read it that way. You don't have to foam at the mouth before you can access the gifts of the Spirit, okay? Let's just say that. I mean, let let me just put it on a very practical level. Um... We believe that the gifts of the Spirit should be operational in the church today and and, and using it in the context of a worship service. uh, For example, say the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit wants to use you in the gift of prophecy or the gift of message in tongues and interpretation. You don't have to get yourself worked up into an emotional state to be able to be used by God in that moment. You, You hear what I'm saying? The say he wants you to deliver a message in tongues to the body and that if that's going to happen you don't have to get yourself to where you're weeping and crying and all emotional it can be somebody that just standing there and says you know what god wants me to speak out right now and they do it that that's that's basically the message here is that it's not about how we feel or working ourselves up into a certain state it's about learning to recognize the spirit and this, and you recognize that he is wanting to use you in a specific gift Which, by the way, I want to say this before we go into any more of this. I I don't, you know, people say, well, I have the gift of tongues. I have the gift of interpretation. I have this. I have, I don't don't particularly hold to that belief. I don't believe it works that way. I believe that he gives the gifts of the spirit are given to the church. And according to what it says in scripture, and we're going to read more of this. The Holy Spirit decides whom he will use with any given gift whenever he wants to. Now, often the ones who are used over and over in the same area, it's just simply because they're willing. But but the problem is, if we say, I've got the gift of tongues. Well, what if God wants to use you with the gift of healing? Well, that's not my gift. No, so we we end up limiting what God can do through us because we say, well, that's, that's just, I don't have that gift. When maybe God is prompting you to pray in that moment because he wants to deliver gifts of healing through you or a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. So I believe that the gifts are given to the church at large. And if we will pay attention, if we'll be sensitive, the Holy Spirit may at any time choose to use you in any one of the gifts of the Spirit in any place at, a, at any moment. I, I think that's how it works. So, so uh, don't get caught up in saying, well, I, I want to get this gift. No, it's more, I believe it's more accurate to say, I want the Spirit to use me in His gifts. So, uh, let's go on, verse three. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't literally mean that those words can't be formed and they can't speak those words. It means that you cannot make it real in your life. Uh, For the Lordship of Jesus Christ to be true in your life, the Holy Spirit is the indispensable reality. He is the sanctifying grace. Now, now he says, verse four, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Now he, he's, he's laying a platform. Everything, everything that's going to be said from the, this moment on rests on verse four. The Holy Spirit operates different ways with different people, but it's not different spirits. Now that's important to us, but it was critical for those people who had, been, had, been, had lived their lives as pagans to understand that because th- they had believed in their life that there was like a spirit of the water or the spirit of the rain, the spirit of the harvest, you know, the spirit in the trees and the spirit in the dirt and all this kind of things. And he says, no, 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 you got to understand, there's only one Holy Spirit. And he says, what the Holy Spirit does is make Jesus Lord in your life. And once Jesus is Lord in your life, You don't have to get yourself into an out-of-body experience in order to sort of pluck the Holy Spirit out of heaven because because Jesus is Lord, He accesses the church through us. And it goes back again, gifted persons are gifts to the church. So verse 5, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So he's saying the Holy Spirit comes into us for the common good. Think what that means. It means that he comes into us for a purpose. He uses us in these gifts for a purpose. There's something he's wanting to accomplish for the common good. The Holy Spirit does not come through us and cause us to be gifted or to be used in a, in a gift in order for us to consume it on, our, on ourselves or to feel good about it or give us Holy Spirit goosebumps, whatever we want to say, it is for the common good of the body. So, so he's giving us all of this preparation. Why? Why is he giving us all this preparation? It's because, remember, he is talking to the church at Corinth, which had become filled with division and argument and separation we talked about it earlier because it's, this is the church that he wrote to when he's you know and they were saying well I'm a Paul I'm of Apollos so that you know they're like this guy is better than your guy, and and well my guy is above your guy. I'm a I'm a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm a Peter. And, and there was all this confusion and division in the church in Corinth. And what he's really saying, he's saying, wait a minute. Paul's saying, wait a minute. Let me say to you that what the Holy Spirit does is he makes Jesus Lord. And if he's Lord, then he's Lord of everybody. None of us is Lord over anybody else. Furthermore, you don't have to choose and divide up. Oh, we're on the red team. We're on the blue team. He says that the Holy Spirit operating in every life is for the benefit, for the profit, for the common good, depending on how your translation reads it. It's it's for the benefit of the body of Christ. And, and, And he's making the point that all of us, all of us are part of that instrumentation. All right, now let's that leads us finally to verse eight. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, or the word of wisdom, to another the utterance of the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts, plural, of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between Spirits, to another various kinds, plural, various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now just... Leave those behind for just a moment and and look at how he sums it all up in verse 11. This This is important. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what is Paul saying about the gifts of the Spirit so far? He's saying that the gifts emanate from the Spirit that makes Jesus Lord in our lives that it's always through humanity to the church for the benefit of the church and that God is the one who decides. And in, in the middle of all of that is this list that we call the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to say before we begin talking about individual gifts, I'm going to say something that may be controversial. Here's the controversial question. Is this list exhaustive? Is it exhaustive? In other words, is this list it? Are there only nine gifts of the Spirit? And that's it. Well, let's just suppose that uh, somebody, you know, we leave here tonight and somebody says to me, Hey, you know, I wasn't here Sunday. Uh, can you tell me who, who was in church on Sunday morning? And I'd be like, well, oh, Chuck was there and, and uh, my daughters were there and Dustin was there. Uh, Mary Beth and Jason were there. And they're like, Wow hardly anybody there. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. It's just that I'm just mentioning a few of them off the top of my head. It's not, I'm not trying to give you an exhaustive list of necessarily everybody was there. There were quite a few people there. So anyway, there is this possibility that Paul is a possibility. And I'm going to say, this is real. It's a real possibility that Paul is listing the gifts of the spirit and that's it. But, but in the context, remember what we just read at the beginning and the end of this. He's talking about the lordship of Jesus and the unique gifting of the Holy Spirit. He says God gives one the gift of tongues, one the interpretation of tongues, one prophecy, one discernment of spirits. Maybe, maybe, maybe in doing that he's listing all of the gifts, but maybe he's not. Uh, maybe he's just naming some gifts as examples of the way that God works in and through the body of Christ. Eyes see, ears hear, legs move, hands grasp, they're all, but they're all part of the same body. But he's not trying to necessarily list every part of the body. Well, I mean, what about the gift of hospitality? What, what about the gift of giving? Th- those are listed as gifts in other places. And, and you know, we've, we've all known people that have longed for one gift or another, but I've never heard a person at the altar weeping and crying out before God saying, Oh God! Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me, give me the gift of giving above all else. Give me the gift of giving. You know, I've never heard that. I'm thinking about maybe making a theology out of that, but, but it is a valid gift. It's a real gift It's mentioned in scripture. I, I think maybe, maybe, Paul, maybe Paul is saying, look, here's, here's how the gifts work. All of the gifts work. And here are some of the gifts as examples. Now, if you, if you want to say, that, that, that these are the only gifts that I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. You can say that. It's just not my interpretation of the passage. So now let's just begin to talk about some of these gifts. And we're just going to get started on a couple of them. As I said earlier, really what we're doing, we're just sort of nudging into it this week. There are, there are multiple ways when you talk about the gifts to separate and to categorize these gifts. But let me, let me give you two different ways to group them. And th- these are not, these are artificial. Just understand that. These are these are men looking at these things, trying to understand them and categorize them. But this is just these may be helpful for you to understand and and and, uh, and learn these things. But one way to group the gifts of the Spirit is to put them into three groups of three. It's a very common teaching. This is not original with me at all. But in this group, in this grouping the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge and the word of prophecy, they are what some people would call prophetic gifts and not prophetic in the sense telling the future because prophetic just simply means you're speaking forth what God has said to say. And then there's the, there's faith and healing and and miracles. And, and this grouping would be called the demonstrational gifts because they're demonstrations of the power of God. And then there's discernment uh, of of spirits, tongues and interpretation of tongues. And, you know, and and one Pentecostal uh, writer refers to those as the intuitive gifts. Now, it doesn't mean intuition in the way that we often use it, but it just means in the sense of things that we, we just know. Now, I want to say those are excellent groupings. There's nothing wrong with them, but, but I just want to propose to you, maybe there's, there is another way, a different way to group them that, that may be helpful for you. It's not the standard way to group them, but I believe you can also group them into two groups. Faith, healing, miracles, and discernment. Those are gifts of action. Then, then there are the, these others, uh, you know, uh, I mean, listen, listen to how you say them, because Paul doesn't call it, he doesn't say it's the gift of wisdom, does he? What is it? It's the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. It's, it's really a word of prophecy. It's tongues, interpretation of tongues. And I believe those are gifts of supernatural communication. So nearly half of the gifts are, are about miraculous demonstration, four of them, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, you know, those sort of things. And then the other five gifts are divine communications. So that's another way to look at them. So let's just talk about some of the gifts. Let's talk, first of all, about the, the first group that, uh, that I mentioned out of the two, the, the, the action group, faith, healing, miracles, and discernment of spirits. Let's look at the gift of faith. We'll start there. and and we may come back to this later because I don't know that we can really adequately adequately address these tonight, but the gift of faith that it's talking about here is not the general faith that everyone has at salvation, you know, the faith that we have to believe God and to receive uh, salvation. This is a gift of supernatural faith. It's what I heard one preacher describe as that moment when you you know that you know that you know that you know that you know. It, it, it's that place where, where it transcends any argumentation, any circumstance, or any situation you just know, regardless of what it looks like. It, it's a gift of, of such faith that you're, you're not revving yourself up for it, to it, or you're not, you're, you're not pressing for it. You're, you're not trying to exercise faith, or you're not trying to confess your faith, or that sort of thing. It's a gift where you just are absolutely the core of your being, you just know. It's that kind of faith. God drops it inside of you and it's done. You just know it's done. It's finished. And it is a powerful, and I believe a very rare gift in the body of Christ. The the person who receives the gift of faith becomes a tremendous anchor for a community of faith. When, 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 When people... Pray and pray and pray. Oh, what about this? What about that? And then that person with the gift of faith walks up and says, it's all taken care of. It's all settled. That that gift of faith is a rare and powerful gift in the body of Christ. Now, Now, remember, the gifts are given for the common good. I would profit in my poor little shredded faith By someone who has the gift of faith and demonstration of that gift of faith repeatedly and successfully in the body of Christ. Think about what it would do for me when I'm struggling to get through a situation or a circumstance. And that person with the gift of faith says to me, walks up and says, it's done. It's all done. And I have seen them operate in that gift of faith in the past. That's the gift of faith. It's a beautiful thing. The second, it says, gifts of healing, gifts, plural, of healing. Now, now I'm not going to teach on healing per se tonight. Uh, I will just say this, you know, it's, it, it's always amazed me when people say, well, I'm so sick, I can't get to church. I, just, I long for the impulse in us that says, man, I'm so sick, I've got to get to church because I know I can find healing there. Anyway, let's get back to what we're talking about. That's a whole different, I'm gone from preaching and teaching to meddling at that point in time. So let's just, let's move on. Gifts of healing. And as I said, it's plural. Now it's plural. That does not mean gifts of healing in multiple people all healed in the same way. It means that there may be manifestations of healing that operate through different people in different ways. And there are all kinds of ways that that can happen. For example, I'll, let me give you one that maybe you haven't thought about like this, in this way before. Counseling. Suppose God gives somebody a gift where they're, through counseling, they're able to bring healing to, an inner, to the inner person of another, of another human being. That can be a gift of healing. Because how many of you have ever, ever, ever needed healing in your inner man? Let me tell you something. I believe that's even more miraculous and more difficult to see happen oftentimes than the physical healing. So, so, uh, uh, you know, it's that's it's just we tend to put things in a box. But here's here's what I want to say that the gifts just sort of flow together um, and it's hard to figure out and separate them a lot of times because, look, if you reach up to a cluster of grapes that are hanging somewhere and you squeeze them all and the juice just begins to run down your hand, when it gets down to your elbow, tell me, which grape did that drop come from? Well, you, you don't know. And I believe that's the way the gifts of the Spirit operate. You know, one of the gifts, of, like I mentioned, counseling, one of the gifts of healing for in counseling, they, oftentimes in that situation... Uh, that, that gift may be connected to and part of and used together with others, for example, with the gift of knowledge. Maybe in that counseling session, the Lord gives that counselor a, a, a word of knowledge and he knows something and he's able to speak in that situation and through that process, then the gift of healing flows in that in that moment. So oftentimes they, they move together and flow together and they meld together and, and it's just hard to figure it out and, and maybe we don't have to figure it all out. But uh, let me just give an example. Um, you've heard me talk about Dr. Rutland before, but I heard him tell a story. I've actually shared this story uh, probably actually last, many, many moons ago when I taught on the gifts of the Spirit before. But uh, he tells a story of a time when he was, he was preaching a series of meetings in, in Augusta, Georgia, many, many years ago. And he, he was preaching two services a day, preaching a morning service. They'd have a morning service, more kind of a service slash bible study and then they have a service at night well before the morning service the pastor came into him and said and said look there's a lady in our church who suffers horribly from migraine headaches and she's asked if we would pray for her before the morning service and dr roland said great bring her on into the office we'll anoint her with oil we'll pray for her well she came in and sat down and they talked for a few minutes before they they prayed and 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 she, in the conversation, she said, look, I just want you to make sure you understand these migraine headaches that I'm talking about, they're not just headaches where your head hurts really badly. She said, they destroy me. I can't move. I can't think. And it may last a day or it may last a week. She said, I, I can't hold down a job. It's, it's starting to ruin my family. She said, I'm, I'm talking about something that is, that is absolutely debilitating. And I've had these migraines for years. And I've, I've been to every kind of doctor. I've had MRIs. I've had brain scans. Every kind of procedure you can think of. And she said, nobody can tell me why I'm having these headaches. Well, Dr. Rutland, Said, well, ma'am, you know, I have never claimed to have any great gift of healing, but, but we're going to anoint you with oil. We're going we're to pray for you. So let's just bow our heads. And so as he said that, he reached his hands out to lay his hands on, on her head to pray. And when he reached out, when he did, he had a remarkable experience. He, he saw in his mind's eye a picture that, that was so clear. He said, it's as clear as, if as, as me standing here looking at you. And he saw a little girl so clearly that he could describe even the dress that she wore. Now, I want, I want to kind of give you an idea to what I'm talking about here. But, but if you'll do this with me, I'm going to I'm going to count to three. And, and when I count to three, I want you just to in that moment, close your eyes and think of a horse really fast. OK, are you ready? One, two, three. Now, close your eyes. Think of a horse. Picture. Think of a picture of a horse. All right. All right. Now open your eyes. Okay, now, that little flash picture of a horse that you had that came, came to your mind, imagine if that were clarified where you could see the color of the horse's mane, the color of the horse's eyes, and you, you could uh, describe clearly the size and the shape. Well, that's how he saw this little girl, as he described it. He, he said he saw a little girl wearing a, a navy blue dress with a white lace collar, and she had her hands crossed uh, across her chest clenched with her fists clenched and she was just staring at the door and she was crying standing there. But it wasn't sad crying, it was angry crying. She's standing there crying, weeping in anger. Well, th- this picture entered his mind's eye so, so, it, it entered, it so suddenly and, and it was so unbidden that he, he felt that he ought to share it with the lady. So he said, ma'am, ma'am, please open your eyes. He said, we're we're going to anoint you with oil. We're going to pray for you. But I just need to tell you what I just experienced. He said, he said, it it was in me and it may have no meaning to you. But as I tell you uh, what it is, if you know it, would you just please tell me that you know, you recognize it? So he described what he saw, described this picture that came to his mind to her. And she immediately, she just said, oh, I know exactly what that is. That's my 10th birthday. She said, I'm the youngest of five children. I have four older brothers. And the next youngest to me is 10 years older than I am. He was 10 when, when I was born. Basically, there were four boys in the, in the family. And, and her mother thought that she was finished. And she had this, this we'll say, accidental girl. There are no really accidental children because they're all, all God's plan. But... And she, she looked at him. She said, my mother didn't want me. My mother didn't love me. And she made that clear from the moment I was born. And she said, on my 10th birthday, I got two gifts. I got that navy blue dress with a white doily collar that the next door neighbor made for me. She said, I put it on and I wore it because I loved it and because it was beautiful. But she said, I was hurt because a neighbor lady gave it to me, and not my mother. And she said, the other gift I got was a birthday card from an out-of-town aunt and, and it had a $10 bill in it, $1 for every, every year of her life. She said, when I opened that card holding the $10 bill, I said, look what my aunt sent me and her mother immediately reached across the breakfast table and said, what does a little girl need with with $10? And she snatched it out of my hand and gave it to to my 20-year-old brother. And she said, I leaped up from the table and I ran out to the back steps and slammed the door. And in that moment, right right before Dr. Rutland and that pastor's eyes, that lady just clenched her fist in front of her chest, across her chest, and closed her eyes, and her voice changed to the voice of a little girl as she screamed, I hate you! And she opened her eyes, and she said, you know, come to think of it, I've been pretty much sick since that day. Now, here's, here's what I'm trying to say with this story. She could have spent 15 years in psychotherapy and not have gotten to that moment. So, is that a gift of healing? Is that a word of knowledge? Is that discernment of spirits? Yes. Yes, it is. Now, I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. We're out of time. But we're, really, we're just opening the subject. Next week, I want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit in everyday life, in the everyday life of the believer. Because we, we have too often in, Pentecostal, in the Pentecostal world relegated the gifts of the Spirit only to demonstration on Sunday morning services. And we think, oh, the gifts of the Spirit should be in operation. Let's go to church so it can happen. I, th- I, don't, think that's, I don't think that's wrong. What does it mean to the plumber on the job? What do the gifts of the Spirit mean to him? What does it mean? What do the gifts of the Spirit mean to us when somebody just says to us, hey, would you pray with me? Because they have it has implications. These gifts have implications for how we live our lives and how we function in the world as Spirit-filled believers. So the next two Wednesday nights, I, I, I want to... I want to see you armed. I want to see you armed with the gifts of the Spirit in such a unique and powerful way that that the gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. I want everybody who comes into contact with your life to find profit for their lives and for their souls because you, a gifted person, are a gift into their life. That's our goal for the next couple weeks. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this precious church I thank you Lord for the work of your spirit and I pray that you would you would work on us between now and next Wednesday open us just just crack us open God tear away every every resistance remove everything that would be defensive toward the gifts of your spirit prepare us oh Lord that, that we may hear from you and then having heard that we may we we may be a uh, uh, make a difference. And we may in this world be armed and, and profitable for the kingdom. And we thank you for what you're doing in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.